Hello, Grace Church. This is James Whitla, tech guru for the live stream and sound. Unfortunately, this week we had the internet crash and caused the live stream to crash this week, so we weren't able to get the full sermon recorded. What you'll hear is about 25 minutes of Brad's sermon, and the recording will then stop. Again, good morning to you. We are in a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And I won't do this every week, but I'll do it this week since we're still so early in our series. But you remember in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, there's a genealogy of Jesus and the birth narrative. And then in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus and Mary and Joseph escape to Egypt and they come back to Nazareth. And then in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is tempted and he's baptized. He's baptized and then he's temp- tested. And then in Matthew chapter 4, um, Jesus calls his disciples um, to himself. And then we come to Matthew chapter 5. So this is really early in the ministry of Jesus. And the, you know, verse 1 in chapter 5 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And so what we have with the Beatitudes and with the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm going to read those verses in just a second, is Jesus is saying, this is, this is what it means to be part of my kingdom. People have all sorts of ideas about what it means to be part of the church, right? Jesus is saying, like that quote I said earlier, right? What if everything he says is true? Like this is actually what it means to be part of the church, part of the kingdom, part of what I am doing. And he's giving us a vision uh, for his kingdom so that we know kind of, you know, what is it that God's doing in us? What has he done in us? What is he calling us to? And, um, and so then we read the Beatitudes last week. And Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who um, hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for, the, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, this is, if you, you want to know what I'm about, here it is. This is what it means to be part of my kingdom. Then we come to the text this morning where Jesus talks about salt and light. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, hear the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so to kind of get us started here, I'm going to tell you a a story from Greek mythology. Okay? You know, who cares, right? But it's a cool kind of story. Uh, There's this nymph that lives in the forest, and her name is Amalthea. And um, you probably know something about her. Once, Once I tell you a little bit, you'll be like, oh, that's what that is. But she was known for having this goat, and this goat had these horns. And the thing that was so cool about these horns and why everybody wanted to go hang out with her was because the horns were full of plenty. They were full of anything you might want. And so in Latin, the word for that horn is cornucopiae, right? A cornucopia. And so it's this horn and it's this idea that anything you actually need, anything you actually desire, anything you want, it can be found. And I tell you that story because it is not a new concept to think to yourself, I need to have a place of plenty. 
I need, if, if there's just somewhere I can go to get whatever I need or whatever I like really want, whatever I desire, this is not new for 21st century Christians living in the United States of America. This is like deeply embedded in us to wonder, is it possible? Like, is it actually feasible to think that there's somewhere, there's something that has what I so need, what I so long for? You know, just think about who we are as people. We're needy, right? You need air. You know, try to hold your breath for a couple minutes. You need food. Try not to eat for a few days. You need water. Like, we need things. Like, we're made for that. And we, you know, because of our culture and where we live in the woodlands and surrounding area, we're pretty good, actually, at kind of getting to a place where we don't need anything. I'm, I'm good. I got this under control. Until life does a curveball, which will happen to you, um, where you start to say, okay, I need something beyond me. And Jesus has just given us this vision for his kingdom in the first part of Matthew chapter 5 called the Beatitudes. And then he says, okay, now let me give you some ways of thinking about this. You are salt and you are light and I'm going to do things in you that are going to be amazing, but the reason I'm doing them is so that people can see who God really is, so they can really see the kingdom of heaven. If you want to think about you know, why, the church is, why this church is in the woodlands, part of the reason our church is here is so that people can actually see who God is by the way in which he's changing our lives. You know, God is a God who loves beautiful music. That's why we have wonderful musicians. You know, where else do you get to go and hear live music every week, right? We have beautiful musicians and we play these awesome songs and we're so grateful for them. Or think about like the word. Where does God speak so clearly to you where you don't have to wonder, is that really what he meant and said? Well, actually, we believe the scriptures as... Um, uh, 2 Timothy 3 tells us that all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, that it's actually, the word, this is God's word for us. So we read scripture together. We read a lot of scripture so far this morning because we want to hear what God has to say. We're people who have need and God is saying, actually in my kingdom, there's plenty and I want you to access it. I want you to understand your part in it. I want you to know what I'm doing in you with it. And so I'm going to give you these two little ideas, salt and light as you think about my work in you and the work I want to do through you. So let's start with the idea of salt first. You're the salt of the earth. It's like Jesus is saying to us, I want you to be salty, okay? I want, I want you to understand that you are the salt of the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if, it loses, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, when I hear that, I'm like, oops, okay. So if I don't kind of keep my self together here i'm going to be useless and it's like throwing me into the street right where i can be trampled and oftentimes that's how we think god relates to us because that's how we relate to people if you're no longer useful to me i'm no longer interested in loving you right if you're no if you're if you're more trouble than you're worth then i'm just going to block you out of my existence god never approaches us that way jesus says this is who you are you are the salt of the earth. That's, who, that's, that's what I'm doing in you. This is who I've made you to be. Salt's important, but there's also something going on where Jesus says, but it can become inconsequential. You know, if it loses its saltiness, it can become just thrown into the street. And the thing you need to know about the ancient world is they didn't have like white, perfect salt like we have today, okay? It had a lot of other minerals in it, and so if it wasn't cared for properly, it would just lose its saltiness. And so the streets were full of like minerals they were full of salt people just throw it out there because it soaks up the nasty which there was a lot of in the street and it would function as traction and jesus is saying okay here's the thing i you are salt you're meant for something 
So why does Jesus use this metaphor? Well, a couple ideas. Salt is necessary, right? At a cellular level for who we are, like we need salt. It's important. You have to have salt. And Jesus is using this metaphor to remind his people that there's something that I'm giving you, that I've made you, that is absolutely essential for who you are. And if you want to know what that is, go back up and read here. I've, I've just told you these things. Like, this is what you're made for. You're the salt of the earth. This is what I'm doing in you. And so salt's necessary. Salt preserves. You know, in the ancient world, they didn't have refrigerators, right? They used salt to keep meat from rotting. And so another way to think about it is, you know, for Jesus to call his people salt, essentially what he's saying is salt keeps death at bay. Salt prevents decomposition. Salt, salt prevents things from being destroyed. Jesus is using this imagery of his people, and he's saying, if you want to you think about your relationships where you're struggling, you want to think about difficult experiences in life, maybe at work or in school or in the world abroad, I've actually made you salt. I've made you part of the preservation process for the world. I, I've created you to be a gift, one that's necessary, one that preserves um, one that enhances, salt enhances. I love salt. You know, I, Jamie puts a little bit of salt on our food and then she's not looking and I put a little bit more on there, right? Salt enhances flavor. Do you think of the church, Christians, as being those who are called because God loves them so much and he's made them salt to actually be enhancers of the world in which they live? We're actually created for that. It's the opposite calling, for us to lean into quick snap judgments and being judgmental. You know, sometimes the church is known for, be, known for being judgmental. That's not who Jesus is. He's a God of truth. He calls us into something great. He has these things for us. that says, this is the way that leads to life. Don't walk the way that leads to death. But who is Jesus saying this to? People who aren't listening to him. People that you might do snap judgments with. Those are the very ones he's saying, no, 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 no. I have more for you. You know, it's easy to be critical. You know, it's not impressive if you can sort of slice and dice somebody and point out all their weaknesses. Good for you. Jesus is actually saying, you're salt. You're actually meant to enhance. You're meant to preserve. You're meant to bring life. You're meant to keep death at bay. Do this experiment. I dare you. Look at iTunes. Look at Google Music. <clears throat> Maybe go to YouTube and look at the most popular like, music videos. I dare you to listen to one and ask yourself this question. What is good about this? What's good about this? And if you can't find anything, I want you to look past the music to the human made in the image of God who's singing it and who has created it. And start there. And start saying, okay, where, you know, where is there something good in this? Jesus actually sees us in all of our mess and all of our weakness and says, okay, that's the part of you that I'm going to push out, but I see you. I'm the salt of the, of the world, and you're becoming the salt of the world. It's an invitation. You know, maybe if you think about being salty, you think about kind of being an irritated person. I tell you what, this is so embarrassing, but it's just true. My kids are older now. It's a little bit easier. But when my kids were little, you know, and they're seven years old, and I'm like, okay, I've got the next MLB, you know, rock star here. I've got a volleyball Olympic gold medal here for my daughter. And then, like, some parent says, oh, it was a horrible move. I'm like, Whoa. Or the opposite team does something and just smashes it in, you know, Avery's face, you know, volleyball, or, you know, Walker hits this great hit, or, you know, William playing lacrosse, whatever, and someone blocks it, and everyone's cheering. I'm like, how can you cheer? That's, that's not the goal, right? Lance Bergman was asked a question. He said, uh, someone asked him, because they knew he was a Christian, 
So Lance, do you pray that God helps you win every single week? And he goes, no. I'm like, well, why? He goes, well, I'm not going to pray that they lose. You know, it's like, I'm going to pray that we play our best. I'm going to pray that they play their best. But no, I'm not going to, I mean, he's their God too, right? Just this idea of actually God's calling us into something greater, into a place of plenty, a place where salt, uh, as we experience God's grace and his mercy, we begin to say, okay, God, your word is meant to preserve me. Even when my heart says exactly the opposite. There are times where our heart leans us in certain directions and the scriptures say exactly the opposite. And we're like, eh, I don't know if that's best. God's saying, no, listen. This is meant to preserve you. This is meant to build you. This is meant to enhance you. This is meant to give you access to the kingdom of God. Or maybe the question of the good life. Like, what's the good life? There's a book by a guy named Dallas Willard. <coughs> Excuse me. Called, his name is Dallas Willard. The name of the book is The Divine Conspiracy. He says this. Jesus deals with two major questions humanity always faces. First, there's the question of which life is the good life? What is genuinely in my interest? And how may I, how may I enter true well-being? Of course, we already know that life in the life of God will be the good life and Jesus' continual reassertion of the direct availability of the kingdom always keeps that basic truth before us. But exactly who is and who is not assured a life was a subject of much confusion in Jesus' day and in ours. What came to be called the Beatitudes were given by him to help clarify this matter. If you want to know God's vision what it means to grow spiritually. What, what does it mean to see his kingdom come to bear in your marriage or in your friendships and the world around you? That's exactly why Jesus gives us the Beatitudes. Where we might think the answer is to like fight and win, Jesus says something different here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That doesn't mean we don't defend. That doesn't mean we don't protect one another. But in most things you deal with when you think about conflict in your life, Jesus is saying there's a way towards making peace. And when you live into my way, the fruit of it is that you will be called a child of God. God's inviting us into something that might at first seem counterintuitive, but he's saying, listen, you're the salt of the world. And in me, following my ways, this is what you'll experience. You, being preserved. A hope that can't be shaken. Your very soul will be enhanced. I will pour the salt of my grace so much into your life, it will begin to flavor every part of who you are, and it will be good for you. Now, on the alternative, especially when you think about the good life, and as you get older, I think you still struggle with this, but I'm thinking about like teenagers and college students, the question of like, what am I going to do with my life? It's this big, huge question that's hanging out there in front of you. Like, what's the most important thing? You know what? Your calling is important. But what you're going to need, no matter what that calling is, is to understand that you are a beloved child of God as a starting point. Jesus doesn't say, please be the salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. If your hope is in Jesus, you're part of the kingdom. And God wants to bring these things to bear in your life. Then, he uses this metaphor of light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so these three kind of metaphors Jesus lays out there. You're the light of the world. 
a city on a hill, and a lamp place on a lampstand. Now, as soon as I read that, I think to myself, that sounds terrible. Like, I'm actually not an extrovert. I know that's weird as someone who, like, preaches every week, but I'm actually telling you about Jesus, not telling you about me, right? But the idea that somehow Jesus wants to use me to be a light, like, it's very intimidating at first. And it actually continues to be intimidating if you actually think the goal is for your own glory. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of, the heaven, kingdom of heaven. Now, the thing about Pharisees and the teachers of the law is they were ones who spent their whole lives trying to perfectly obey everything. And Jesus says, that is not what gives you access to the kingdom. So the idea of being light why is it that God, why is it that Jesus says, I want you to be my light? I want people to, I want people to see your good, I want people to actually see the good things going on in your life. What is that about? Well, he says there at the end, in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, this, this concept of somehow being a city on a hill. Now, Back in this time, you got Jerusalem, it's up on a hill, there's light there, it can be seen from everywhere around. You know, we're a church. Now, I realize we live in the woodlands, and actually you could drive by and not see our church. But, but like normally, if you live here for a while, you see that there's a church here. You know, God actually wants us to be a people who when they come here, they experience His grace first. Not the ten things that they don't agree with with us. He actually wants us to start with this, there's life for you. God has grace for you because he has grace for me. Again, go back to the Beatitudes. Um, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you're someone who really understands how much God loves you, then you're someone who understands how much he's forgiven you. And living in light of that forgiveness, living in the power of that salt of his righteousness, actually he uses us to do that for other people, to let them encounter grace. I promise you in the next two weeks, you're going to have a chance to be gracious to somebody. In the next two weeks, you're going to have a chance to be really be critical of somebody. What if, when that thought comes in your head, you think to yourself first, what would it look like for me to love them just as much as God loves me? Like, what would, what would it look like in this moment for me to love them as God has loved me? Not love them like they deserve, or love them like I think their behavior requires, but what if... What if I love them as much as I think God loves me? The reality is you can never love somebody more than you think God loves you. And that's why Jesus is saying this. You are salt. You are light. I'm inviting you into my kingdom because this is a place where you will experience the blessings of my promises. This is a place where you won't be lied to because I am the word, right? Jesus is the light of the world. You know, one of the things I love about spring, I know it's not here yet, but it's coming. It means the days get longer. We get more sunlight. And I love watching my son play baseball. Both William and Walker played baseball growing up. Walker still plays. He's still at the Scotland Yard or whatever. But as games start and he goes up to bat, here's what's going to happen. He's going to walk up to the plate. And I know him well enough to know all the little things he's going to do because that's a baseball thing. And then he'll step back and he'll look at his coach and he'll look for signs. Now, to this day, I never can read any of those signs. I don't understand at what point which one matters, right? But Walker can look at it, and he sees it, and then he steps back up to the plate, and then he knows I'm supposed to bunt, I'm supposed to take a pitch, or my favorite, swing away, right? You, you just give it all you have got. 
And there's times where Walker gets to swing, like, okay, you get to swing, and you know what he does? He, he'll strike out. What happens when his coach sees that he told Walker to hit a home run, and, and, and he hits it big sometimes, but this time he struck out, and he sees Walker strike out, what does the coach do? You're off the team. No. You're on the team. That wasn't the goal. You struck out. You gave it your all. But you're on the, being on the team is not a conversation. You're on the team. But this is, what, this is what I want you to do at the plate. Jesus is inviting us. He's saying, look, seeking to follow me and struggling to follow me, that's normal. You're going to need to be reminded often that Jesus is the light, that Jesus has grace for you. That the salt of the gospel is meant to season your heart and it will throughout your life as you make your way toward it. The question of if you are still on the team, that's not a question. If you love the Lord, if you've confessed your sins to Him, you are on the team. Which brings me to this last idea of what does it mean for us to see the salt of the gospel, the reality of God's love for us, the forgiveness of sins that He gives to us. What does it mean to see that in our lives? What What does it look like? There's a couple options. One is you can try harder. I've tried this, and I've failed, right? Anybody still on their New Year's resolutions? You know, how'd that go? It's, it's almost the end of January, right? The idea that we can somehow will ourselves into just being better people, if you think you can, I'd like to get coffee with you once a week, and then I want your best friend to give me the report on this thing you're trying to do, Right? Trying harder doesn't work. Even the Pharisees who had the appearance of being righteous, and you probably know people who claim to be religious who are very self-righteous and they're judgmental. You probably have experienced that. Well, that's who the Pharisees are, and Jesus is like, that has nothing to do with my kingdom. Not interested. So you can try harder. I would not recommend it. It's going to be discouraging, but come back when you're done with that. You can believe harder. Maybe that's the problem. I'm trying to follow Jesus, and my faith just isn't strong enough. I need to believe harder. No. This is the narrative you need to hear. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Why? Because God's your Father. Because He loves you. And this is not just a random theme Jesus addresses here in Matthew. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. See if you pick up on the theme. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, like slaves to trying harder, slaves to believing harder, so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children if your hope is in jesus you are his child and he's telling you what it is that brings you know preserves what it is that enhances what it is that gives light so we know where to step and where not to step yes we need to follow jesus absolutely 100 percent. but he's also saying you're doing that because you're my children you're seeking to follow me and forgive one another and live into these beatitudes because you belong to me not to get to belong to me. That's already established. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. 
Or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Please understand that. We don't think about ourselves like that enough, but that's who God is. You are His special possession. He cherishes us.